0: Let's begin this morning by reading verses 1 to 12 just to uh, get ourselves reacquainted with where we've been and where we're going. And we'll read just this first paragraph of the sermon and then begin our time of study from this portion of God's inspired word. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5 says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up onto the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in particular, this morning. We're going to focus our attention back on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. This will be our discussion this morning. I've entitled this morning's look at this beatitude as kingdom desperation, and I think we'll get to the reason for that in just a few moments. There is, if you remember by way of review, a logical connection to the Beatitudes as Jesus teaches them. There is the poverty of spirit, which is the fundamental common denominator of all kingdom citizens. They are all people who have realized their utter inability in and of themselves to gain any merit or to make any payment that would satisfy a holy God. They are utterly impoverished they are bankrupt spiritually before god that is the bottom line common denominator for all who are in the kingdom following right on the heels of that is the emotional response of those who have come to poverty in spirit and that is the mourning over their sin and over sin in general before a holy god those who are poor in spirit will be the inheritors of the kingdom those who mourn will be comforted by the God of all comfort. And then the last time we studied in this section several weeks ago now, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the relational response of the poverty of spirit and the mourning of the kingdom citizen. Meekness towards others, meekness in light of who God is, and then in light of who I am. So there has been a progression one could not be singled out without the others It would be folly for us as bible students To take one of these beatitudes and make it somehow superior to the rest for they all fit Into the package into the description of the heart and the character of the kingdom citizens And you remember I hope That this sermon is all about the kingdom of heaven and it is all about your heart these are not moral statements. These are not principles to live by. These are the characteristics of those who have been transformed from the inside out. These are the marks. These are the characteristics. These are the defining marks of the kingdom. In other words, as we read these, we should not be thinking, I wish the world took a better uh Attention at this Sermon on the Mount, but rather we should be saying, Is my life mirroring my claim to be a kingdom citizen? Are these the realities that are present within me? Because these are the heart characteristics of those who have been saved. You'll understand by reading these that these are not commands. They're declarations by the Messiah King, Jesus, who Matthew introduced in chapters 1 to 4. They are declarations of fact. They are realities. They are present realities in the life of those who make up the kingdom that he rules as Master and Messiah. And so in the logical flow, we come now to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As it was no mystery to us that our world is not championing meekness, the last time we studied in the Beatitudes, the world and the culture around you is promoting anything but meekness in you towards others and towards your God. So it is today as well, the world is standing in opposition to this Beatitude, to this declaration of fact for the kingdom because the world is born craving and pursuing anything but righteousness as a whole we use the word hedonism hedonism is the philosophical approach to life that pursues temporal happiness and pleasure as the end of man's existence the world around you is pursuing, it is craving, it is hungering and thirsting, it is desperate for happiness. And yet happiness, we will find, is the byproduct of the one who hungers and thirsts and is desperate for righteousness. Every person, you and I included, is born selfish by nature. We are looking out for number one. And that selfishness in us that is... A part of our sinful, fallen nature demands that we be taken care of, that we be made happy as a first priority. You know this is true. Um, You care for yourself well. We are all walking testimonies of our care for our own being. That is an innate part of who we are. And the culture around you is craving for contentment and for joy. And all of their pursuit of happiness is absolutely futile because these characteristics are not present as a part of their existence. They have never been brought to poverty in spirit. They have never been brought to mourning over sin, spiritual mourning. They have never been brought to meekness before others. And they surely have never been brought to the place of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They'll search but they'll never find it. The king is speaking of yet another quality of the kingdom citizen. So here's how we're going to break this up. We're going to study just one verse again this morning, one beatitude, and I want to divide it into the four qualities that make up this beatitude. So just for the sake of helping you, and really more than that, for the sake of helping me explain it to you in a logical fashion that makes some sense, we're going to look at the four qualities of this fourth beatitude. We're going to look at the condition of kingdom desperation we're going to look at the descriptions of kingdom desperation we're going to look at the obsession or the object of kingdom desperation and finally to stay with the shuns we're going to look at the fruition of kingdom desperation stop laughing even under your breath fruition is a real word i didn't make it up it means the conclusion of the matter okay the result of this kingdom desperation So we're going to begin with the condition of desperation. And really, this is review for us, if you've been with us through this study, because the condition, the the setting for this characteristic is blessedness. It's the very first word in this beatitude. It's the very first word in all of the beatitudes. And we have talked extensively, and we have reviewed extensively about this blessing that rests on the kingdom citizens. These desperate people, who are hungering and thirsting and pursuing righteousness. This blessedness that they experience is something that cannot be grasped apart from these characteristics. So in other words, only the kingdom citizens will know this blessed happiness that is both internal and is eternal. Happiness from the world standpoint is a pursuit of external circumstances that give us a feeling of joy and it is a temporal experience that will end whenever that particular experience comes to a close. In the most difficult of illustrations, a drug addict is one who lives from high to high and who must feed more and more to continue that external putting on of an experience of elation or of distraction from the world as it is and yet the drug addict is no different in nature and at its core than any other person who is seeking and desperately pursuing happiness apart from the kingdom It is just a seeking for a mountaintop experience that will crash and burn, and then another mountaintop, and then a crash and a burn. And yet the citizens of the kingdom, those who have come to poverty in spirit, who mourn for their sin, who live in meekness, and who live in desperation for righteousness, are blessed. They're blessed internally, and they are blessed eternally. The world searches for happiness as an end. But Scripture reveals that happiness in the truest sense is a byproduct of the proper pursuit of God and His righteousness. I don't know if that's getting old, but that is the consuming message of these Beatitudes. Your world around you, your family members who are not in Christ, your friends, your neighbors, those that you talk about the gospel with, if they are not in Christ, if they are not citizens of the kingdom, they are pursuing a futile pursuit. They will never be blessed, and they will never know true joy and happiness apart from the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the condition of this desperation. It is a happy desperation. That's the paradox, right? That's the constant paradox. These are people that are most blessed, and yet the characteristics of their life would be, by the world's estimation, miserable characteristics. You are happy if you are destitute, utterly impoverished. You are truly happy when you are mourning, that is, grieving. You are truly happy when you are setting aside yourself in meekness before others. You are happy when you are desperately, desperately seeking, thirsting, and hungering for righteousness. The world says the opposite. You are happy when you are richest and most elevated in your own eyes. You are happy when you ignore sin and live as if there is no consequence for sin. You are most happy when you are a go-getter and put yourself first. You are most happy when you know no hunger and no thirst and think that everything is okay. So Jesus sitting on a plateau in this mountain, gathers together a group of people who are following after him. His disciples sit down in front of him, and he opens his mouth, and he speaks cultural and social idiocy. This doesn't make sense. These are counter-cultural principles. They are counter-cultural realities of the kingdom, and that hasn't changed even today. So the constant in these early declarations is that the kingdom citizen is a happy blessed person both internally and eternally. Secondly then, we move forward quickly to the descriptions of this kingdom desperation. These are powerful descriptions. The descriptions are the next verse, the next words within the verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst This is the description, this is the illustration of the desperation of those within the kingdom for righteousness. And you say, That's not difficult. I can grasp that hunger, thirst. Right now, as I talk to you, my throat is dry. I am thirsty. I know that there's a bottle of water sitting right there. And my mind tells me, There's water there, and your throat hurts. Why don't you drink it? I'm thirsty. You might be thirsty right now. If you're in the back rows, you might be more thirsty because you're in the raging inferno that is the back of this building. I can understand thirst. Many of you, it is 1129. Your stomach is making you aware that if you go beyond 1215, it will not be happy that you have not given it food. See, I understand hunger. Hunger and thirsting, as this beatitude describes them, are lost in translation. This is not the hunger of one o'clock because you missed lunch. And trust me, I understand that one very well. This is not the thirsting that I have now speaking to you and wanting to put something cool and refreshing in my mouth. This is the desperation of starvation and dehydration. This is the clawing for water. The word picture here is so strong. This is the ongoing desperate search for food. A starving man will eat anything that he can get to. And the kingdom citizens are those who are starving. They are going with reckless abandon for righteousness. These are powerful descriptions. The dehydration, the thirst, is something that many of us have never experienced. And I would join that group. Both on the hunger level and the thirst level, I have never known a day or two days or a week without a meal. One commentator recounted that during his seminary days, as a single guy, he ran out of food and money at the same time on several occasions. And in sinful pride, he didn't let anybody know And so he went several days without food, and he got a little glimpse of what it was to hunger. Putting water into his system so that it would be deceived for a moment into thinking that it had gained nourishment. This thirst is not the desire for a cold glass of lemonade after you rake the leaves. That's not what characterizes or illustrates the kingdom citizen in their pursuit of righteousness. This thirsting, for all godly readers here, is a Louis L'Amour character stuck in the desert. His lips are cracked and parched. His head is frying from the heat exhaustion in the sun. And he is desperate to find that one well that some Apache long ago found that trickles fresh spring water out of the plateau. This is a desperation this is an all-consuming drive. And it is not a drive for physical nourishment. It is not a drive for, for, for joy. It's not a drive for bliss or happiness in a temporal sense. That is not the consuming passion of the kingdom citizen. They are not driven and consumed with themselves. They are driven and consumed with righteousness. A righteousness that comes only from God. They would do anything to find it. They would do anything to see it present in their lives. They are spiritually starving and dehydrated people who are aware of their desperate need for righteousness. That's the description of this kingdom desperation. That's the description of the truly blessed individual. I don't know about you, but if we just step back, and in our little Christian culture, we're here with our Bibles open, we've been in the Beatitudes, we're okay with this. We're okay with this. And yet, if you'll just let it sink in what we're talking about here, that those who are most desperately aware of their need, those who are groping and grabbing for anything to get righteousness to be a part of their lives, are the happy people, that is foolishness from the world's perspective. Yet these are the words of the Messiah King. The king of this kingdom gives this declaration of fact. The happy citizens of the kingdom are those who are starving and dehydrated for righteousness. So having seen the biblical data and the illustrations of this desperation, let's look thirdly then at the obsession or the object of this kingdom desperation. There is one singular pursuit for the kingdom citizen. There is one thing that will satisfy. The kingdom is made up of people who have seen the error of chasing after anything else other than righteousness for true satisfaction. The kingdom is made up of those who have seen the temporal lie of Satan that you will be satisfied if you'll just do what I'm laying before you. If you'll partake in this immorality, you will find satisfaction and fulfillment. Sin is pleasurable for a season. The lie of Satan is that sin will satisfy eternally. The truth about sin is that it satisfies for a moment, and its consequences are for an eternity. And they are anything but blessedness and satisfaction. And so righteousness becomes the singular pursuit and obsession of those who are living in this kingdom desperation. They are starving and they are dehydrated for righteousness sake. Now it's important for us to ask a hard question. What is this righteousness? There is one author in our New Testament who has given us the most information that we would naturally think of when it comes to righteousness. take of my thirst. And that is the Apostle Paul. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter five for me, if you would, just for a second, and we'll look at these this one verse together, really as kind of a staple for Paul's use of the word righteousness. There are several uses for righteousness in Scripture, and Paul's is probably the one that you have thought of most or is most well known to many of you who have been students of the Bible for any amount of time. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we find verse 17, which is a very familiar and beloved verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Then we come down to verse 21 and Paul says this, "For our sake, God, the Father, made him, That is, Christ, for our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. That is, He placed the sin of all who would believe on the Savior. So that, here's the reason why He did it. Why would the loving Heavenly Father count His Son, the perfect Lamb, as sin for those who knew no sin? Or for those who had sinned. So that, in Him, that is, in Christ, we that is those who have believed, might become the righteousness of God in him. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's use there, as well as in the book of Romans, consistently and throughout the Corinthian letters, is a declaration righteousness. It is a judicial righteousness. It is a standing before God. You were born... Out of joint, you were not right with God. I don't know about your experience, but growing up there was the constant mantra of, you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. It seemed like every message in our Christian school chapel was about getting right with God. That's not far off. Righteousness, as a judicial declaration, is being made right with God. That is, you are out of joint, you are away from him, you are permanently separated from him in sin, and through the sacrifice of Christ, Christ's righteousness was credited to your account as if you had lived in his perfection, and you were granted granted the stamp of righteous. That is the judicial, that is the judgment righteousness that has been given to all who were justified and all who will be justified. That is Paul's most dominant meaning when he speaks of righteousness. And yet in Matthew and in the Beatitudes and in Jesus' teaching, he uses righteousness with a slightly different emphasis. This righteousness that Jesus speaks of here is not a declaration for the kingdom citizen has already been declared righteous. These are people within the kingdom. And you do not go through life if you have come to a proper understanding of justification by faith alone, desiring to be justified as a child of God. You have been declared righteous. There is a past righteousness that has been given to you. And yet the kingdom citizen, though he has been declared righteous, he hungers and thirsts still for righteousness. You say, what is the nuance, what is the emphasis of Jesus' teaching? I think we get a little bit of light shed on this righteousness when we look down further in this chapter and we see Jesus use this same word again. Verse 10. Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness' sake. So people are persecuted for this righteousness. And then you go down to verse 20. For I tell you, and this is really the central theme of the sermon on the mount for I tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says there is a righteousness That could be measured in a human sense by those who live With the law as their highest priority, right the Pharisees and scribes were religious leaders of the Jewish nation They were considered to be the most holy people in their culture and jesus says that holiness will get you nowhere your righteousness must exceed theirs what that does for us is it sheds light on the fact that jesus emphasis in verse 6 and in verse 10 and in verse 20 of matthew chapter 5 is on the ethical application of righteousness to our lives what what are you talking about Jesus is speaking about your daily holiness, your pursuit of obedience, your pursuit of sanctification that is being made holy progressively through this life. The kingdom citizen is one who has been declared righteous and whose life is marked by a craving, a desperation for an ongoing ethical righteousness in their lives, to see the word of God lived out, to see the gospel active in their existence. This is their priority. It is a behavioral righteousness that is desired here by the kingdom citizen. We talk a lot in our modern Christianity about wanting certain things for our lives or for the lives of others. I just really want to get closer to God this year. I just really want to see maturity. I want to see different things. Or we're really hoping that in their life, We're going to see a real draw towards God this year in a special way. I really want to see my life more in tune with God's mind. And yet this beatitude points us back to something that's very uncomfortable for us, and that is a righteousness that is external as the fruit of the internal declaration that has been made. In other words, the hunger and thirst and priority of the kingdom citizen is a life that is lived in obedience to the revelation of God's word. This is unpopular. It's hard to believe, but we as Christians have lost the priority of obedience, of external reality and fruit of what has happened on the inside. The kingdom citizen is one who starves and is dehydrated and craves and is desperate to see the righteousness that has been declared because of the sacrifice of Christ lived out in their daily existence. This leaves us with hard questions for ourselves, doesn't it? What is it that I hunger and thirst for? What is it that drives my existence? What is it that drives your existence? I mean day to day. I mean every day but Sunday. When we put on our, our special church outfit, whatever that is, and you've all done well, put on our special church mindset, we may read our scriptures more intently. I mean Monday to Saturday. What drives you? What do you crave? Say, how will I know what I crave? You can know what you crave by what you give your time and attention to and the results that you're looking for. These are demanding, demanding Beatitudes. And yet, remember, these are not calls for you to change. They are declarations about who you are. Your life, because you are a sinful person just like me, will ebb and flow in our conformity to these standards. And yet, if you have never known, if you have never known the craving for righteousness A desire that is insatiable to see God's holiness played out in your life by His Spirit, by His grace, then this passage, the Lord Jesus Himself calls into question your profession to be a part of His kingdom. There are no kingdom citizens who have not come to the end of themselves and been poverty and seen the poverty of spirit. There are no kingdom citizens. Nobody is going to heaven who hasn't mourned over their sin, who hasn't lived their meekness because of seeing God for who He is. And there is nobody in the kingdom who is not marked by a desire to see obedience and righteousness lived out in their lives. These are not my thoughts. These are the words of the Messiah Himself. And I, along with you, must lay our, we must lay our lives before the passage of scripture and allow it to examine our hearts d martin lord jones a pastor from britain of the last generation said that this beatitude was the most encouraging beatitude for the one who has been transformed by grace because this beatitude more than any others is only the fruit of the one who has been transformed there is no potential Romans 1 tells you there is no potential for you to desire righteousness apart from grace. Only those who have been transformed, only those who have been saved and been brought into this kingdom desire righteousness for the glory of their King. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, who are desperate. For righteousness, This is their obsession, the fruit of righteousness in their daily lives, because they have been declared righteous by faith. So we've seen the condition. They are blessed people. We've seen the description with the hungering and the thirsting. Now we've looked at the obsession of their desperation, and now we look finally at the conclusion, the fruition of kingdom desperation. Here is the glorious promise. Why are they blessed? Why are these people the happiest people on the planet? Why are these kingdom citizens so overjoyed and so internally and eternally happy? Because they and they alone will be satisfied. They will be filled. They will be stuffed. They will be unable to take another drink. I remember as a young athlete, not understanding the way the body works, in the early practices for soccer, we would, late summer, we would run piggybacks and do all these things, and we would be so gassed and so so out of steam. We would come to the water that we would be given, and one of the guys would take it upon himself to put it on his shoulder, and then basically we would drink until either somebody knocked us out of the way or we couldn't get any more water to go in without choking. That wasn't good, because then we would start running sprints immediately after that, and we would find out that that's not the way you're supposed to drink water. I can remember on maybe two occasions. Fool me once, right? Fool me twice. So maybe two occasions. Drinking until I was full. Filling up with water. I certainly can remember in the very near future, eating until there was no more hunger. In fact, I didn't even want to look at food because of how much I had put in. We didn't need to ask grace and give thanks for the food. We needed to ask forgiveness for what we had just done. The promise for the kingdom citizen, the fruition of their desperation will be utter satisfaction. They will be filled to the brim. They will have no room for any more. And you say, more of what? More of righteousness. They will see the full satisfaction of their desire for holiness, for righteousness that is characterized in God. This will be their satisfaction. The promise is a future one, not unlike the others. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's future comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that's future inheritance. And now, blessed are those who hunger and thirst through this life, because in the future, they will experience total satisfaction. This is a phenomenal promise. Because no one else, no one but the kingdom citizen will experience total and complete satisfaction. Kingdom citizens are desperate for righteousness and happiness, and satisfaction are theirs alone. Now it's interesting because your life and my life as kingdom citizens is marked by this hunger and this thirsting. We desire to see righteousness played out in our lives. We desire to see God's work active in us. And we go through this life, and it seems the more we desire to see God's righteousness the more we desire to see God's righteousness. The more we see fruits of grace, the more we desire fruits of grace. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is speaking here to the Philippian church, and he, he is commending them, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, that is, not only when I was there with you, but in my absence much more, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is, live out. The word for work is where we get our concept of energy. Work out. Give life to your salvation with fear and trembling. That is, with awe and fear of God. For it is God. Here's why you are to be living with an insatiable desire. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. Why is it that we are concerned about righteousness in our lives? Why is it or how is it that we are to be driving after righteousness and somehow not stealing the glory away from God? We are to be driving after righteousness with the full understanding that he alone can supply the righteousness that we desire. He alone can fill the well. He alone can feed the mouth of righteousness. That's it. He alone can do it. Your salvation was all of grace. Your sanctification is all of grace. And your glorification will be the total satisfaction, and it will be the last and greatest act of grace from a loving father to an adopted son or daughter. Kingdom citizens, they hunger and they thirst, and they will be satisfied. There is a past event of satisfaction of the righteousness needed as the stamp is placed upon you. There is a present pursuit of righteousness in our daily lives, and there will be a future culmination of righteousness as we live without sin, without sin's influence, without its presence, without its power, in new bodies that are not sin-riddled, in a new heaven and in a new earth that will know no presence of sin, we will be satisfied. This is the promise for the kingdom citizen. There is the theme of satisfaction from God to sinful humanity throughout the Psalms. Many of these, we've read them so many times that we take them for granted. Psalm 23, you know this by heart, the Lord is my shepherd. And then we just say this and move on without even a thought. I shall not want. That is, the Lord will completely satisfy me. He will be my all. He is all that I need. He is the only source. He is my shepherd. And as a sheep in his pasture, I will never go hungry. Ever. Not only will I not go hungry, I'll never know hunger. I will not want. Verse 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I am filled to the brim and I am running over because you are my God. Psalm 34 continues this theme. Verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God is the satisfying God. He is the supplying God. And then Psalm 107, verse 9, and this is probably the most potent illustration in the psalm. Psalm 107, verse 9. Speaking of God, verse 8 says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Why? For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Are you hungering? Are you desperate for righteousness? Are you thirsting and dehydrated and desperate for righteousness? That's the only The only people who live in that reality are the kingdom citizens and they have come to the right place. They are happy people because in their hunger and in their thirst, they have the guarantee of satisfaction. God's wrath has been satisfied satisfied in the past. Our desire for ongoing righteousness in our lives is satisfied with fruits of grace and yet we desire more and more and more because we look to the promise of this beatitude, the future fulfillment of, of total satisfaction in the presence of our Lord. So that leaves us with some questions. What do you hunger and thirst after today? I thought it was striking last week when David was preaching to us in the morning. I ask you again, just because of how hard it hit my heart, if every believer within the body of Christ was hungering and thirsting for what you hunger and thirst and drive after, how strong would the church of Jesus Christ be? How much would we mirror the kingdom of our Lord as seen in the Beatitudes? What is the desperate pursuit of your existence? Is it your own comfort? You'll never find it. Is it possessions? I watched a little video clip last night from Hollywood. A friend of mine planning a church and asking people on the street what gets them, why do they get up in the morning? And one little girl, she's probably maybe college age, maybe high school, late high school, early college. She said, I don't know, to go to work and to have a good time. And she didn't feel that there was any sadness in that life. And yet that is the mark of all who are outside the kingdom. So I ask you, what are you desperately pursuing in your existence? Do you experience the kingdom promise of satisfaction? Is your hope and is your joy and is your sense of, of fulfillment and satisfaction found as you see the fruition of righteousness in your life? Those who desperately seek righteousness are blessed, for they will get the satisfaction they so deeply desire these are the words of the king about his kingdom citizens they must drive us to examine our hearts and to pursue these realities as those who follow after jesus as king and messiah